The Athletic has proposed a trade between the Blue Jays and Mariners that is very similar to an idea Colby and I have talked about over on our Patreon show. We're going to discuss both options and talk about how Toronto and Seattle matches up in a trade overall and also review the 2022 season of Cal Big Dumper Raleigh. Colby, hit it. You are Locked On Mariners, your daily Seattle Mariners podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. This is Tidy and and Colby Patnode for the Locked On Mariners podcast. Thank you so much for making us your first listen. Subscribe, like, and turn on alerts if you're watching on YouTube, or subscribe and leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform if you like what you hear. And if you want to hear from us even more, please consider signing up for our Patreon. The link as well as our social accounts is in the description below. On the show today, we'll be going over a trade proposal that was crafted by Mariners writer Corey Brock and Blue Jays writer Caitlin McGrath wrath and also talk about our very own blue jays mariners trade idea plus we're going to continue our season reviews with a look back on the incredible season of cal raleigh but colby i have been talking your ear off for the last few weeks about the uh, possibility of the mariners trading for teoscar hernandez i have come up with several ways to Uh, potentially get that done i've floated ideas to you and finally i got you to buy in a little bit on it and yesterday as we were talking about our off-season plan yes 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 because you were the one i fixed no i fixed your deal so that it was buy-inable i fixed Mm. your original idea that's why i started to buy in you wouldn't have even thought about this player had I not mentioned him. You would have never thought about the possibility of trading for him if I did and not. And you still would have been floating up. around your idiot trade offer until I fixed it for you. So there you go. Teamwork. You can hear how that all went down on our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash control the zone. But yes, yeah, so we finally started to hammer out this trade that, and I've talked about this a little bit on Locked On Mariners, that would land the Mariners, Teoscar. Hernandez with Chris Flexen going back to Toronto as one of the pieces. And we also, as we were putting together our trade and, and we still haven't finished it because this is again for our off season plan that we do every single year for the Mariners. And we'll talk about that a little bit more once it's out and available to everyone on here on locked on Mariners. Uh, but lo and behold, I wake up this morning and find a very similar trade package heading back to Toronto for a different Toronto player, but the same exact trade package that you and I had preliminarily put together on yesterday's show for not Teoscar Hernandez, but Santiago Espinal. And this was crafted by Corey Brock, Mariners beat reporter over at The Athletic, and Caitlin McGrath of the uh, Jays side of The Athletic in which the Mariners receive Santiago Espinal, second baseman slash third baseman from the Jays, along with right-handed pitching prospect Alejandro Moline for Chris Flexen and Penn Murphy. Colby, you and I had Chris Flexen and Penn Murphy heading to Toronto for Teoscar Hernandez. We'll get more into that idea a little bit later on, but what do you think about this deal? Because this probably seems a little more realistic than a Teoscar Hernandez deal, but... Does this really move the needle at all for you? Because for me, not really. I'll explain why in just a second, but I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. Um, so the uh, I guess the, the kind of issue with this deal is that 
Espinal is uh, he's a good player, but he's not a great player. He's probably not a guy uh, that you want playing every single day. He's a very good defender at both uh, second base and third base. Can play shortstop if you need him to, and he does some things well to play it. I mean, he hit two sixty seven this year. He's a career two eighty hitter. Those are both well above league average. Um, you know, he doesn't strike out ninety first percentile in K percentage this year, ninety second percentile in whiff. Um, you know, he doesn't chase either, puts the ball in play a lot, doesn't doesn't walk as much as you would like uh, for a guy with his profile. Um, and the reason he's, you know, the reason why you would like him to walk more is that there really isn't any power or not a lot of it. Um, so what you have here is you have a guy who ideally probably is is a utility guy who plays, you know, three, four times a week. Um and, you know, in a, in a pinch, if, if he's your everyday second baseman, that's fine. Uh, but you have to get power from somewhere. And pairing Espinal with J.P. Crawford, it'd be pretty good defensively. But there's no power coming out of the middle of that infield, which means you have to go get it somewhere else, yeah. uh, which is an issue. So Espinal is, is a nice player. Um, and if you hypothetically, right, you went out and you signed – um, you know, Carlos Correa or one of the shortstops and, and Crawford was your second baseman and Espinal kind of, uh, you know, kind of played around uh, in a few spots uh, two or three times, four times a week, then fine. But Espinal as the everyday second baseman, not really uh, something that moves the needle much for me. Uh, also, it's worth noting that um, Espinal is a bit of a, a platoon uh, situation against left-handed pitching. This last year, uh, he hit 301, 375, 451. That's a very good player. Mm-hmm. Um, but against righties, he was 256, 304, 342. Mm-hmm. That's that's really that's there's no damage there. There's no walks there. That's just not a great player. He's not he's not a burner on the bases either. He can steal a bag here or there, but that's not really his game. Um, he's a good player, and he is a player that would make the Mariners bench better. And, mm. um, you know, look, he's better than Dylan Moore. Not saying much, but he is. He's a little bit better than Dylan Moore. Uh, he's, that's safe. he's safer than Sam Haggerty. He's safer yeah. than Dylan Moore. And that's fine if you get him. And, and like you said, and he's your, you know, your first utility guy off of your bench, then fine. Totally mm-hmm. fine with that. Uh, but if this is your answer to second base, I think there's better options out there and not, and I'm not just talking about the four middle infielders that are hitting the open market. Uh, I think even if you have, you know, a fallback option there, if you don't land any of those four guys, they're going to be better players that are, that can be had than, than Santiago Espinal to be the guy at second base. Um, 267, 322, 370 on the year. Uh, that's a 99 WRC plus. He was one of the better defenders at second base in uh in all of baseball and that's why he ended up with a 2.3 f4 uh but like you mentioned no power really what to speak of um you know three 370 uh, slugging percentage as i mentioned seven home runs uh 51 rbi not a uh not a particularly great base runner either this year had a negative 1.5 base running uh rating by fan graphs uh, and also um stole only six bases so he doesn't really provide you much there um this is basically just Adam Frazier. Like, yeah, it's the same idea. And, and 
You know, Jerry DePoto in the past when he's looked to add to a contending team, a playoff contending team, has added guys like Santiago Espinal. I think that Espinal kind of fits in a similar category to the likes of D. Gordon, Malik Smith, etc. You know, and all those guys are a little bit different in their own ways, of course, but it's the same idea. It's a contact-heavy hitter who doesn't really strike out, plays good defense, and that's about it. And that's fine, and that's good to have in your lineup, but that's not... The, the Mariners need to do better at second base. So as a utility ad, yeah, totally fine. Uh, but if that's your second baseman, uh, it's hard not to feel like you failed, at least a little bit, this offseason. Yeah, it's... Like the cost, <clears throat> the cost is fine too. Um, yeah, yeah. Plus, uh, we should mention, you know, Santiago Espinal is under club control through the 2026 season. Uh, yeah. He doesn't hit free agency until 2027. So, you know, you get him for a while, but also, again, he's kind of just an average player, right? Right. <laughs> like, I mean, you're not, it's not like you're getting um, years of club control in this deal either because Flexen has four. Uh, four years and and Murphy has uh, I think five so yeah it, it's yeah like it's a fine trade it, it's it totally works the Mariners would clear about seven eight million bucks off of their payroll which you know I guess could be used somewhere else but because the deal is fine it's just there's not a lot of impact there um, to the everyday lineup it, it it doesn't really solve any problems by itself if that makes sense yeah and so uh, i i just stacking up this deal to the one uh that we have for teoscar hernandez i mean obviously i'm going to lead towards the teoscar hernandez deal because teoscar hernandez is just flat out a better player than santiago espinal but i also think that this that this kind of return still works for hernandez even though he's a better player and I will explain why in just a moment. But real quick, this episode is brought to you by Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. We're always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more bet online is where the game starts you're listening to the lockdown mariners podcast thank you again for making us your first listen so how could the mariners get teoscar hernandez a much better player than santiago espinal we'll just say that i think that's pretty clear cut for more or less the same return that Corey brock and caitlin mcgrath came together on for espinal well, as I mentioned, Espinal is under club control through 2026. Teoscar Hernandez, meanwhile, is hitting free agency at the end of the next season. So next winter, he's, he's only under club control for one year and is currently projected to make an arbitration, his third year of arbitration, $14.3 million. It's a lot of money. Now, the Blue Jays are not a cash-strapped team, and, and that's not the angle that I'm taking with this whatsoever. Uh, but a corner outfield, we've talked about this with the Mitch Hanniger discussion that corner outfield is relatively one of the easiest positions that you can find on the high end for relatively cheap on the market. 
there are going to be other options out there for the Blue Jays to fill that hole. And look, the Blue Jays at the end of the day, and the Blue Jays know this at this point because they've learned very well in the playoffs this past uh, month and, and in, in the last couple of years uh, overall that you know they have all the offense of the world and that hasn't gotten them anywhere. They need pitching. Pitching has been the issue for them. Pitching is the reason why they haven't been able to reach what they think is their ceiling, which is being a perennial World Series contender. And so we've already seen that they are willing to sacrifice some offense in order to get pitching back. They are open to trading Alejandro Kirk for someone like Pablo Lopez. They are apparently, according to John Morosi this morning, willing to part with one of their catchers for one of the Tigers relievers or two of the Tigers relievers. And presumably in that instance, that would be Danny Jansen. So there's already breadcrumbs here leading us to the conclusion that the Blue Jays are willing to subtract from that lineup and maybe be open more so to replenishing their lineup via free agency or via another trade, whatever to help fill that hole in order to land the pitching that they so desire. And Chris Flexen isn't sexy. He's not. He's not an attractive option, but this starting pitching market is not very good. There are options. There are going to be some good pitchers that do hit free agency or that have already hit free agency technically that are going to be attracted to the Blue Jays, but that well is going to dry up really quick. And Chris Flexen is a number four, number five starter who has proven that he can eat innings. Mm-hmm. And you have him for four years of club control. And by the way, we were wrong on a on an earlier episode a couple weeks ago when we talked about Flexen's situation. He does not have a player option. That was Spot Track's fault for miss uh, uh, for uh, listing that incorrectly that it turned into a player option when he hit his innings count. All that did was just guarantee him eight million dollars for this upcoming upcoming season, and then he hits arbitration for the next three seasons. So this is a number four, number five innings eater who can actually, um, who who's who's going to be cheaper than really anything you can find on the market for the next three years after this year. And on top of that, you get Penn Murphy for whatever it is, like five or six years. Who and Murphy was, you know, one of the better relievers for a time in one of the best bullpens in all of baseball. For one year of a corner outfielder, no matter how good he is. I feel like those values balance each other out. Well, good job putting everybody to sleep. Um, it's also worth noting that uh, Penn Murphy. <laughs> Sorry, it's also worth noting that uh, I, I think that Matt Festa also works in this deal. I don't. We haven't talked about that, Ty. But like, if the Blue Jays really want Matt Festa instead of you know Penn Murphy, fine, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just about trading from from your bullpen. Uh, in obviously your rotation depth as well. Uh, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the Blue Jays aren't exactly cash strapped and, and that's true, but we do have to remember, you know, they are paying Yusei Kikuchi $13 million. They are paying uh, Haijun Ru $20 million. Uh, you know, I believe both Vlad, I believe Vlad Jr. is ARB2 and I believe uh, Bichette is ARB1. They're going to have to start paying those guys quite a bit here. Um, so while yes, the, the Blue Jays aren't like cash strapped, they're not desperate to clear payroll. It does. There is some appeal to them, uh, clearing potentially, you know, six, $7 million of payroll and collecting club controlled pitching for an outfielder. Uh, you know, it's, it's, 
it's probably not ideal for them, but I think they're probably going to end up trading Tay Oscar uh, this winter. And I, I think they could really use a lefty bat anyways. Uh, I, I think, you know, a solid left-handed hitting outfielder would really balance out that lineup a little more. And we uh, know so that they had interest in Ben Attendee, who's a free yeah. agent. So, And I think Jock Peterson makes some sense up there. Um, you know, they're going to look to replace Rymel Tapia anyways. Uh, so, yeah, I, Michael Conforto makes sense up there. Uh, you know, Brandon Nimmo makes some sense up there. So I think a left-handed outfielder actually helps balance them out a little bit better anyways. So I think that's what they're going to try and do. Uh, they need pitching. I mean, really, after you have Manoa and Gossman, and then you have question marks because Barrios mm-hmm. – wasn't very good this year. Nope. Uh, Ryu can't stay healthy, or at least hasn't been able to stay healthy. Um, you kind of look at Yusei. We we know the story about Yusei Kikuchi, and it, it played out exactly the same way in Toronto. Are Surprise. you sure you don't need me to uh, run through it again for you? The entire yeah. backstory of Yusei Kikuchi? I, I got it. I got it. So, um, <clears throat> yeah. So I, I think they're going to be interested in pitching and, you know, getting a number four, number five for $5 million, saving six million dollars in, in payroll space uh and getting a quality you know middle reliever it's not bad it's not bad um maybe you have to tack a prospect on there uh you know maybe a perlander baroa type to get it done that's fine uh mm-hmm. but this is you know this is the mariners trading from a position of strength on their end and the blue jays trading from a position of strength on their end so uh i think there's some uh some mutual uh there's some mutually beneficial uh, aspects to this trade for both teams. I don't know how realistic it is, um, mm-hmm. but I think it's probably pretty darn close to the ballpark. So uh, we'll see what uh, if the Mariners, I should say, are interested in Tay Oscar and if the Blue Jays are interested in Flexen. But we do know that there were contenders interested in Chris Flexen at the deadline. Mm-hmm. The Blue Jays certainly fall into that category of contender. Um, and... and- by the way, should mention that the one that the the reporter that first brought that to our attention was Corey Brock, right? Mm-hmm. And you know he's worked closely on this deal with a Jays beat reporter who may have heard that the Blue Jays are interested or were interested at a time in Chris Flexen. Yep. So on top of that, you know the the on top of the questions about Barrios and Kikuchi. Um and, and Ryu, uh, the Blue Jays are also going to lose Ross Stripling to free agency, and mm-hmm. it doesn't seem likely that they're going to bring him back because there are reports that he might end up making twenty million dollars a year after the really good year that he had, which is mind blowing to me. I would be surprised if he actually ends up getting that, but it does seem like he's going to end up walking. And you know, Pete Walker, their pitching coach, is revered as one of the you know, greatest pitching minds in baseball right now. He's re- revered as uh, as just an absolute pitching wizard. And maybe they view Chris Flexen as someone that they can turn into their next Ross Stripling, right? And it's kind of a similar profile when you really think about it too. So, you know, I think there's going to be a, a lot of interest in someone like Flexen. And, you know, he's just a year removed from being a three-win pitcher on, you know, fan graphs. Like that's... It's pretty good. <laughs> That's pretty good. When you when you factor in that he's been able to stay healthy for the last few years, he looks you know reinvented since his time in Korea. Uh, I think, and the fact that he's going to be you know like you're going to have to pay him eight million dollars now, but then you're going to go into arbitration. And he's going to be really really cheap compared to the rest of the market. Like 
there's a lot to like there if you're another team looking to acquire someone like Chris Flexen, right? And that mm-hmm. works both ways, too. You can be like, well, why wouldn't the Mariners want to be interested in having a guy like that on their team? Why do, why do they want to trade that? Well, because they have four really, really good pitchers, and maybe they'll do something on the back end there to uh, fill out the uh, fifth spot a little bit better than they do right now. So anyway, I think it makes some sense. Um, and uh, yeah. Anyway, all right, so Cal Raleigh. Big year for Cal Raleigh. Uh, a little bit of a big year, right? You know, he he had a, a decent end to the to the season. Uh, <laughs> it was not a great start to the to the season, however, for Raleigh. He entered the season uh, basically the third catcher on this roster behind Tom Murphy and Luis Torrens. Uh, did not have a good rookie season in 2021. Um, definitely, you know, with the bat and then uh, even a little bit behind the plate as well. The defense was not particularly great. Uh, he gets sent down, and then Tom Murphy suffers his season-ending injury, and lo and behold, Raleigh's back in the Mariners clubhouse within, what, eight days, nine days? And from that point forward, <laughs> Colby, Cal Raleigh was one of the best catchers in all of baseball. I don't know what he did down in Tacoma, what changed for him, but he ends up slashing 220, 289, 509 with a 127 WRC+. plus. Uh, 29.2% uh, strikeout rate, 8.8% walk rate, 26 home runs, 62 RBI. Of course, hits the drought ender. Has a pretty big postseason as well. Uh, this is a guy that we've talked about could be a legitimate MVP candidate if this is just a glimpse as to what he could eventually be in uh, in a few years' time. Um. I mean, where do you want to start with this? Because this is a really incredible start a story for for Raleigh, who, again, it just seemed dead to rights. Seemed like he was just not at all ready, and then in a week's time, just morphs himself slowly but surely into one of the best catchers in baseball. What did you see over the course of the season? How did you see him progress? Yeah, um, it was pretty interesting. The one thing with Cal is that he's still striking out a little bit, but even that got better towards the end of the year. Um, I think we saw kind of the biggest leap uh, from Cal, uh, actually, from you know the regular season to the playoffs. It was it was kind of weird. Um, you know, we saw Cal, and obviously the home runs really stand out, but uh, particularly in the playoffs, we saw him have just some really amazing at bats against some really good pitching. We saw him. Um, the, uh, what was it? A double against Gossman. Maybe, maybe that was game one against Manoa, but, uh, we saw him, you know, draw walks against Gossman. We saw him, uh, drive fastballs to the left center field gap for doubles, um, as a left-handed hitter. Um, we saw him recognize, recognize split finger, uh, in the dirt. We saw him, we see, we saw him recognize slider. Um, his pitch recognition skills seemed to get just significantly better, uh, in the playoffs, which is, weird and and that's just you know probably a sign of him just seeing the ball very well um at that time but you know i i think it's really fascinating in the playoffs cal raleigh looked like a not just a a home run hitter or not just a a good hitting catcher he looked like a premier bat like somebody who could hit 270 280 and and you know get on base 35 percent of the time and hit 35 home runs like he looked like a legitimate all-star bat who also is 
a fantastic defensive catcher. So yeah, um, I think that's probably the ceiling, what we saw from Raleigh, particularly in the Toronto series. That's probably the ceiling for him. Um, but yeah, I, I think we also saw, you know, throughout the year, we just saw him get start to recognize things a little bit better. He started to pick out spin a little bit better. He started to chase a little bit less. And he was doing all of that with, you know, basically half a thumb. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's crazy, right? You know, you talk mm-hmm. about how much he uh, improved from end of the regular season to the playoffs, and he's doing that with torn ligaments in his thumb, half of his thumb broken off, basically. He catches 236 pitches in 18 innings of baseball in the game three of the ALDS. He's a machine, man. <laughs> like, that's like, and over the course of the season, you also saw him become a leader in that clubhouse. Uh, you you saw him really uh, take charge in uh, big time moments, uh, and you know the the rapport that he built with this pitching staff cannot be understated. Uh, this is a lot of different arms and a lot of different styles, both in that bullpen and in that rotation. And he caught them all beautifully and called masterful games for really all of them, uh, especially Luis Castillo. You know, they brought over Kurt Casale, you know, to have that familiarity with Castillo from their days in Cincinnati and Colby. I mean, Castillo's best starts, though, were with Cal Raleigh. It kind of worked the opposite way, right? And... When Casale ca- caught, it honestly felt like Castillo had his worst starts of the year, right? You think about the Oakland start. You think about the the start in Anaheim. Like, <laughs> Casale was catching those games. So, you know, overall, like, what Raleigh was able to do on the defensive end and then to be, you know, we talked about it leading up to the postseason. Who's going to be the other guy outside of Julio? Well, Gino was one of those guys. Cal was the other guy. Cal was massive, massive offensively this uh, this fall. Yeah, you know, it's it's pretty interesting. You kind of look at his his year broken down by month. Um April, we know he was terrible. Uh, but 32 WRC plus. He comes up in May, he's okay, 75. You can live with that with his defense. And then in June, it was a 162 WRC plus, 104 in July, 99 in August, which was his, you know, his worst month since he basically became the everyday catcher, and he was still a 99. Um, and then you know, as we talked about uh, in September and into the playoffs, 171 WRC plus in the last month. Uh, yeah, he hit <laughs> he hit 254, 325, 634 uh, in the in the final month and some change uh, of the uh, regular season and the playoffs. Uh, 10% walk rate. His walk rate actually went up pretty significantly uh, from July to August, and then even more significantly in August to September. So this is a guy. Again, he's going to strike out. That's going to be a part of his game. Um, you know, if he didn't, then he's the best catcher in baseball because JT Realmuto can't touch Cal Raleigh's power. Like it doesn't exist. They're on a different plane in that in that uh, standpoint. And defensively, they're not all that far off. So I I think there is a very real case to be made that Cal Raleigh is already one of the five or six best catchers in Major League Baseball. And I think you know next year. He's got a very good shot of making an all-star team, again, assuming he can stay healthy. And if he repeats what he did in September, in October, which I know, I know. But, like, let's okay, he doesn't have to slug 670, all right? But if he can slug, like, let's, 500. Let's dare to dream here, though. Let's dare to if, dream. If Raleigh hits 250, 325, 500 with his normal defense uh, next year, 
he's going to get down ballot MVP votes and he will have earned them because he was he was a four win player this year and he really didn't even start to you know take off until June. Like the guy's incredible and and honestly, I think having Tom Murphy around next year, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, yeah, uh, I I think that'll actually help Cal perform even better. Uh, it'll take some of the pressure off. It'll give him a a veteran mentor, uh, and you know it it can help. Just I mean, for the love of God, like how many times did we say Cal Raleigh really needs to not catch today? And yeah. he was in the lineup anyways because the Mariners didn't have a viable backup option, or they didn't feel like they did. So I think having Tom Murphy back will actually help Cal Raleigh um, keep yeah. him fresher. Hopefully, uh, you know, allow him to maybe sit against some of the tougher lefties that he had to face this year. But Raleigh is as weird as it is to say Raleigh is the Mariners' second superstar. Like he is relative to the catcher position, he's a star um, of that position, and and we'll see if he can repeat it. You know, there's always a possibility he takes a step back. Uh, but you know, you look at just the trajectory he was on uh, towards the end of the year, and you're talking about a guy who is going to start the year as probably one of the two or three favorites to make the all-star team for the American league as a catcher. He he was just in, insane. And I think we are seeing him develop into a star nationally too. You know, I think he became a little bit of a household name you know, with the, the great postseason performance and being able to be the one that, that ended the drought and everything. And, you know, he was one of the leaders in the, uh, the, the comeback in Toronto, all that. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, just the the nickname, right? It took yeah. baseball Twitter by storm with the whole big <laughs> dumper thing. So, and of course, like it's, I mean, you look at that guy, right? With his big, beefy hips, and his, oh you know, <laughs> careful the the the, the, bi- um, the the big the big dumper the big dumper, and you look at that guy, and you you know his name is Big Dumper, right? Like you gotta yeah. like you're going to fall in love with a, a character like that in baseball, right? This is a, sure. a league in which the fans champion guys that look like Andrew Chafin, right? Mm-hmm. Cal Raleigh no. is naturally going to be a star, <laughs> right? It's. Yeah, it it sure was something. Um, <laughs> no, I, I just I feel like just from like a very like when you when you take everything into account, you know, age, contract, performance, there may not be a catcher that you would want more in baseball than Cal Raleigh right now. Um, again, you factor in age, contract, all that stuff. Raleigh is already one of the four or five best. You don't have to pay him anything for the next few years, um, and he's twenty five years old. Uh, Plus, you know, your catcher's not nicknamed Big Dumper. I'm just saying. So Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Hey, Ty, you know what? what? Speaking of Big Dumper. Mm. Yeah, oh, segue. here we go. Here we go. Good job. Yes. Good job. I'm proud of you. Yeah. We are doing a giveaway. <laughs> what? If I can... Yeah, I know. Now, we are a little ways away from getting to this particular point. But if we get to 5,000 subs on YouTube, we are going to give away this lovely autographed cal raleigh card um right there so we are about 800 away you guys have about a month from today to get us there um but you guys can't even get us to the taylor Trammell one so i will happily keep the cal raleigh card um if nobody wants it so it's really up to you guys though but uh, i will happily keep a cal raleigh big dumper autograph card uh in my collection but um maybe you get us to 5k it can be one of yours and if you want to take this mug, you know what's uh, cards, 
help us get to these goals up on the screen right now if you're watching on YouTube. Again, 4,500 YouTube subscribers. We're giving away a Taylor Trammell autograph card. 4,500 YouTube subscribers and 3,000 Twitter followers. And I know that we are making a little bit of a climb towards that goal on Twitter. I think we're nearing 2,500 followers on Twitter. So follow us over there if you haven't already at LO underscore Mariners. When we get there, we're giving away a Jared Kelnick autograph card. And again, numbered. It, numbered. Number two. Mm-hmm. And then... If we get to 5,000, like Colby mentioned, Cal Raleigh, autograph card. Help us out, folks. So uh, that is going to do it for our show. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Locked On Mariners podcast. For Colby Patnode, I'm Tide Gonzalez. Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. You can follow me at Dane Gonzalez, C-A-N-E-G-N-Z-L-Z, and Colby at CPAT11, that's C-P-A-T-1-1. You can also find all that stuff in the description of this episode. And thank you again for making us your first listen. For your next listen, check out the Lockdown Sports Today podcast featuring the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts just like us. And with that, have yourself a beautiful baseball day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Peace.